Welcome to episode nine of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap is in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock bands, Southern Resident Killer Whales and Sender's Dream. And I am Josh Dye with the Convene Training and Resilience Community and we are thrilled to invite you to our podcast about the Minnesota craft beer scene and the newly rejuvenated Minnesota Timberwolves. All right. Well, we are going to make like a Pilsner malt base and an abundance of mosaic hops and go right into the beer. Josh, what brewery brewery are we sampling and talking about today? Holy crap. I didn't get the beer out. You don't have your beer, Dan? Well, while I introduce our brewery today, you can run and grab your beer. Today, everyone, we are talking about one of my favorites, an original craft brewery in the Twin Cities, Fulton Brewing. Fulton Brewing is located at 414 North 6th Avenue in Minneapolis in the North Loop neighborhood and, of course, at FultonBeer.com. A couple things to know about Fulton is that they renovated their tap room and expanded their patio during the COVID-19 shutdown. So if you haven't been to the Fulton tap room uh, in about a year since before the pandemic began, you'll be in for a treat of a freshly renovated space and an expanded patio with outdoor seating. They also have their own kitchen on site that is currently open for takeout. Now, one thing about Fulton, Dan, Welcome back from a nice, <laughs> a nice big drink. Are you did you, a nice big drink of the Fulton 300? Is that the 300? Well, now you steal my thunder, but yeah. Special shout out to mutual friend Sean Gallagher, who uh, just just to be nice, he bought me a, a beer opener, a bottle opener that's got a basketball hoop that catches the bottle caps. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first used it, I made a video with like sound effects of the you know, a, a swish hitting and the crowd going off as the cap <laughs> fell. It was really nice. But yeah, so just because I have this uh, 300 in a bottle, go on. We will, get, we will get to your 300 in a moment. But as we talk about Fulton here, they are in this, what we like to call this nexus of just phenomenal breweries. Mm-hmm. So within a couple of blocks from each other, you have Fulton, Inbound Brewing, and Modest. Now all of these having been featured on this show. And if you had to choose, or if somebody came into town and was like, I need three breweries where I'm going to do a brewery hop, one to the next, it's a short walk from each other, what would you recommend? These would have to be on the short list, right? I'm trying to think of another, you know, you have a broken clock, right? You know, about two blocks from 56, but then it's a little more of a hike to get to the next closest uh, Northeast brewery. Um, at this one we're talking about here, you go just a little bit farther and you have, you're on the edge of prize and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and, and you could say free house is right there too. They're probably within a quarter mile. You just have to go under the freeway. So I, I think this is where I'm sending people. Plus they're already going to be there cause they're going to a twins game or something, right? Yeah. Or, or a Timberwolves game, Dan, or. Yeah. But, but I was going to say, I think of, I think of this because they're literally a block and a half from target field. And I think of Fulton Mm -hmm. as sort of the twins brewery and that they, I think they even sell, I could be wrong here. They might sell twins gear in their little 
uh, swag shop. Yeah. Um, but certainly at these three breweries, Modest, Fulton, and Inbound are, are kind of where you head before a game, after a game, and certainly uh, Target Center as well, which will be opening up soon. So um, we're putting you in the right place if you if you check these guys out. Now, before we get into an advocacy point to address some laws that are impacting Fulton Brewing, and before I get into some of their current beers on tap, Dan, you have a note to uh, talk about some phenomenal uh, IPAs and such. Uh, why don't you take that away for a moment? Yeah, well, all I was going to mention here is originally I had intended, I have had a uh, four-pack of Fulton's Sweet Child of Vine aged in Jameson casks. And it was a truly unique and wonderful uh, beer. It was sort of a, a wine seemed kind of like a wine tasting notes over their uh, flagship Sweet Child of Vine IPA. It was wonderful. But I had uh, one of the few times I've had anyone over uh, through the entire pandemic, a mutual friend, Krista, who is a drummer in my band, came over with her dog for a meet and greet with my dog, sat in that unseason uh, unseasonably warm uh, Saturday afternoon and uh, I had in my fridge, because I've not had anyone to share beer with, in my fridge, and I sh put the array of beer in front of her. It's like, take your choice. Insights Dank Bot, which was talked about last episode. Yeah. Castle Danger, White Pine, which was the previous episode. Firestone Walker. They're from California, but forgive me. I wanted to try it. It's a double uh, hazy from <laughs> Firestone Walker called the Mind Haze. The Summit Slugfest the Fulton 300 and the Fulton sweet child of vine age. Man, that's, like James all, Cass. that's like an all-star team of uh, <laughs> beer fridge, right. But. No, it's, I've had a very happy fridge of late. So I just want to mention, I probably would have been talking about the, uh, that Fulton sweet child of vine, Jameson casks, except it was, I was down to my last one and Krista picked that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, go for it. So, and so I did share the love and, and, and on that particular beer, um, but interesting, you're able, it's a very specialty seeming beer, but you're able to find it at uh, liquor stores where they have Fulton. So we'll mention that. But yes, I am drinking one of the 300s and uh, it is a world-class IPA. I mean, just a, a gold standard for how to use the mosaic hops in a beer. And it's it's just an explosion of that. If that is a hop character that you like, um, it's just kind of the best there is out there. It's as good as it gets. And so I'm loving it. We have IPA. this concept, Dan, yeah. of uh, what we call our desert island beer, that if you're stranded on a desert island and they'll drop off, just drop off one beer of your choosing, I called the uh, 300 a, a desert island contender. Mm. If you really like something with the mosaics hops and is very mosaic forward in that way, uh, that that is on my that beer is on my short list of the desert island beer. And I said, as much as I'm way into mosaic and you know just love this, I'm not sure if I had one type of beer for the rest of my life that I would choose something with mosaic hops because I could imagine getting to a point where I'm like, all right, I'm ready to kind of move on to something else. Where sort of like just a standard world class, more middle of the road IPA might be what I would choose, but. Point taken on the, yeah, <laughs> the Fulton 300. It's just a fantastic beer. 
And, and if you do just want one of those standard world-class IPAs, the Sweet Child of Vine might be a uh, uh, an option in there too. Although it's kind of fascinating because Sweet Child of Vine is one of those, uh, to me, the early IPAs, you know, as the Twin Cities craft beer scene started to come to prominence, that is one of the first ones I remember drinking. And now it's like IPA flavors and types have changed. It's kind of just settled into a classic, you know, yeah. but that at the time it's like, wow, this is like what beer is capable of. And this is one of these, uh, one of those beers that really kind of helped kick that off, I think. I was just imagining I'm on this desert island, you know, like nothing to eat, but right, coconuts and crab, and you're just, you know, trying to filter out the salt water. And it's been a couple of years, and they, they come by with their every week delivery of the the Fulton 300. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I kind of moved on from the the, the uh, mosaic hops at this point. Like, I, I don't think that's probably happening. So. Yeah. All right. So I just want to highlight some things that are on tap. Uh, just a couple that look really interesting to me. There's the uh, Jameson Barrel Aged Brown. There's the Chill City Chugger, which is kind of one of their new, like, you know, just light beer lager things. The uh, 300, the Sweet Child of Vine, uh, Hopstar, which is their session IPA. You must have had the Sweet Child Old Fashioned, the barrel aged IPA with cherry and orange zest. That, call that, that yeah, wild old fashioned. Okay, interesting. And yeah, you know, they Fulton, definitely tasted those. The the zest was like quite forward in that. That was definitely what I had. And then Fulton has really worked to build out a wide range of hard seltzers as well that you can see in uh, liquor stores often, and are on site. And so a nice range of beers from Fulton to try at the tap room or in the liquor store, but. Dan Fulton is impacted by that law that we talked about in the Castle Danger episode where only five breweries in the country, I believe it is, are not allowed to sell growlers and crowlers uh, on site because they produce too much. They're too successful. And, you know, back in an, maybe our very first episode, I had an idea for Fulton to get around this, which is, you know, hey, if you can't sell crawlers and growlers offsite and you have to kind of get caught into the system, what if they just leased out space to another entity of themselves? So say Fulton sets up a, you know, we love beer LLC <laughs> and they have the smallest liquor store ever located on site that only sells Fulton crawler and growlers. And when I was in a liquor store recently, I was just asking some staff a little bit, how does the system work? You know, like, oh, mm -hmm. could a Fulton, could a Fulton give to you crawlers or growlers to sell on their behalf? And they're like, they could, but they'd have to like, they'd have to give it to a distributor who then brings it to us. And so there's like a layer in there, but I'm like, well, Fulton, you just <laughs> hire somebody on your staff with their part-time role as the distributor. And then yeah. the smallest, um, smallest, liquor store on site that just happens to only sell Fulton crawlers and crawlers. And have we skirted this stupid law? Uh, maybe it's kind of like how Fulton set up a, the Fulton kitchen, which is like their own food truck just outside of the, imagine that like gets around some uh, reg <laughs> regulation as well. I will say that I think they're, 
there might be a semantic thing in what you just said, but the the legislation they're trying to work on right now would allow for liquor stores to fill growlers from breweries. Yeah. So that's not something that can currently happen. Growlers on site, but I get what what you're like. All the other yeah. products, the idea is like you have this little shop that's like, hey, it's just the smallest beer store in Minnesota, and then you know another brewery. Hey, we got the third smallest beer store in Minnesota. And, yeah, yeah, no, I love it. I love the idea. Yeah, and I, I've thought about reaching out to Fulton and saying, hey, have you guys thought about this? It's just like a workaround, but... Well, consider um, it done. They're yeah. going to listen to this episode. <laughs> okay, so you guys get the idea of Fulton just lease some, the smallest amount of space to a different entity that uh, is separate from you, but you, you get the idea, and and you, you can officially get around these archaic blue laws costing you money and the rest of us quality beer. So Dan, talk about this uh, uh, drink local Minnesota uh, advocacy opportunity for people. Sure. So, so yeah, go forward with that plan if we don't make any headway in the next month or so. But we are, we as a podcast are fully behind the hashtag drink local Minnesota movement. You'll see it talked about in Twitter and elsewhere. And you can certainly um, look for that tag if you want to get uh, read the details on this. But basically, it's just very common sense legislation. Minnesota is lagging behind in terms of how it handles their, its old fashioned blue laws and so on. But this would allow breweries and distilleries and restaurants to sell their product in take-home containers, uh, both their product or cocktails made of their product in take-home containers. It would allow uh, brew brew pubs and cideries and so on to sell the same products that you find in a liquor store on site. So what happens right now, you go in to say Fultoner inbound, you can't buy a six pack. You can only buy one well, in Fulton. You can't even buy the growlers, but in most breweries, you know, where you can buy product, you're, you're only able to buy crowlers or growlers. You can't buy the six pack. So you have to go to the liquor store and we want to support liquor stores, but of course the breweries are taking a markdown and when are people going to be most excited about a product when they're actually in, in the brewery drinking It's like, how can I bring this home? No, I'm going home by my, I'm in a pandemic. I'm not going to drink a growler of beer by myself, but I would, you know, buy a six pack if I could. So this is really just, you know, people that are like open to free markets should be like all over this and also allowing liquor stores to fill growlers on behalf of breweries. So, yeah. oh, no, and I, I was I, just going to give the, the link. So if you want to go yeah. directly to the uh, page where you learn specifically what's involved and you can sign up, get on a, a, a ah, what do they call it? The oh, uh, email list, Dan newsletter list. Uh, well, I was going to say yeah. where you get on the, uh, geez, the, the petition, big list. The petition. The petition. Uh, the petition. Yeah. You go to yeah. the Minnesota Craft Brew Council. So it's MN Craft Brew. No, uh, Craft Bev Council, Minnesota Craft Bev Council dot org, uh, take slash take dash action, or just say Minnesota Craft Bev Council, and you'll get there and find and contact your local legislators because it or your legislators because it, it right now is moving through Minnesota Congress. Yeah, that's wonderful, and I I uh, get behind that, and I I tend to think that people generally purchase their alcohol based on proximity, right? Where uh, liquor stores really aren't hurt by allowing the six pack to be purchased because, well, if I happen to make a visit to Fulton with friends, I'd love to grab some some of their beer home, but 
if I'm home and my refrigerator is empty, I'm probably going to go to my nearest liquor store to to restock. It's kind of like going to a concert and buying the T-shirt, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nothing hurt with that. But let's talk about, Dan, the pride of uh, people getting posterized by Anthony Edwards being hurt (laughs) with our uh, Minnesota Timberwolves Mm. talk. We have four talkers today that we will go through. And let's start with the first one, which is the Wolves are two and one coming out of the all-star game and finding their groove again. Dan, what are you seeing with this team right now that's different, that's new, that uh, is something that might keep this mini momentum moving forward? Yeah, so I I want to continue to work my very hardest to keep a long view and a long arc. And I think, you know, in one sense, you could say that the, the way we've talked about it all along is very young teams, which is what the Wolves are, simply lose games. They, they screw things up down the stretch. They just inexperienced and they get outmaneuvered. And so that was happening a lot in Saunders' later days. Remember, they weren't getting blown out. They were they were going into the fourth with leads, and then they were pissing it away, and then they would lose. Mm-hmm. And then now, as of the last, you know, three games here, well, two games specifically, they've executed just enough to pull out those victories. So is that one or two players that are just, doing one or two things right that are helping them to hold on or is it an entire team that's executing better and I think it's so tough to even tease that out but I think in terms of outcome what we're seeing right now isn't that in terms of outcome isn't that far different from what we were seeing in the Ryan Saunders late outcome, which is era. sort of like the winning the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and winning the game narrowly or losing the game narrowly. Yeah. But I think what we are seeing right now is if you want to like get all excited about Finch, I think there's a couple ways in which you can do that. And one is that idea that they were just kind of stuck in this, like, how long were we going to continue to hope that that drop defense coverage with cat, you know, sort of being the rim protector was going to, how long were we going to be satisfied with the result from that, you know, with the best defensive outcomes in games in the past three or four years being when cat was not on the floor and the idea that Finch has very pointedly said that he's going to move away from that with a more sort of aggressive uh, pursuing defense that's bringing, you know, Cat out to contest at the perimeter and all kinds of guys like switching and chasing around. And I, I was remarking on on Twitter that it reminds me a little bit of what happens in football where, you you know, how do you feel about a team or how do we in Minnesota specifically feel about a team that like gives receivers a huge cushion with your defensive backs because you're afraid they're going to beat you. And so the guys are just like nickel and diming their way down the field and to have enough trust in the players. And I think have the players feel empowered. They're like, no, give them a bump at the line, play a little more aggressively. You can do this. And I feel like that's 
a little similar to the psychology what's going into the way they're going to start um, getting these guys going on on defense and and as Finch has said, utilizing the youth and, and athleticism of the players. So I think that's one thing to be um, excited about. And the other one is really sort of getting to that point where, you know, not saying their skill sets are identical in any way, but, you know, using cat more in a way that Jokic is used. Cat is not the brilliant passer that Jokic is, but he's a really good passer. He's become a really good distributor, and he mm-hmm. does know how to make the right play. The, the reason why Jokic's plays are always the right play is he's always had guys on his team that could hit those shots, <laughs> and it's been talked about a lot, but the problem is Cat makes the right pass, but when it's Cat making the pass, it's not the right pass because yeah, too almost, yeah. right, there's almost no pass that Cat can make that is the right basketball play because it's always going to be better for him to shoot it, but we are looking at a possible future here where he's going to be surrounded by four legitimate shooters on the court when he's there, and it's it's, it's a pretty exciting prospect, so I it's 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 kind of exciting for a team that's nine and 30, it's about as exciting as it could be at the moment, but there's a big sort of looming thing on the horizon. that I think we're going to talk about in a couple points here. Um, any thoughts on what I'm, what I'm saying here? Yeah. Well, I think your point around that, you know, in terms of outcome, we are seeing, you know, something similar where that game against the Pelicans, it was, our guys were on fire mm. and we were not, we won that game by 30. <laughs> and if Jalen Noel and uh, Jaden McDaniel shoot 19 of 22 collectively again, and uh, like, we'll never lose another game again. If those two guys were to, uh, were to do that. And then the close loss to Portland, that next game, you know, was coaching the difference there. Was it not? And then that was going to be my question around, you know, of course, we're talking small sample sizes, but that third uh, game after the All-Star break, last night's game against Portland, where we win the game by two, uh, did coaching make the difference? Or was it that we had like uh, an experienced Ricky Rubio on the floor making his free throws down the, down the stretch and that like Anthony Davis had another like... Anthony Edwards. That's what I meant. <laughs> Anthony <laughs> Edwards had another one of those incredible coming out games similar to the Lakers, except for Portland's just not as good as the Lakers. And so we, uh, we end up beating Portland. Um, but like, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of like, let's scrap this complicated defensive system and just like stay on your man, use your athleticism and stay on your man. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say the wisdom of Josh die here. So I want to give you credit for a thing that you said an episode or two back, and maybe it was the last episode. Um, But you were talking about the volume of shots. I think it was about Edwards specifically Mm -hmm. and, and that he was, you know, he has a lot of sort of six for 18 or seven for 22 and he gets 19 points on terrible efficiency and you had this phrase that I think it's going to be one that sticks with me for a long time. <laughs> like teams do not survive that. <laughs> and we're discussing the game that happened last night or everybody's discussing the games like, Oh, look, the wolves have turned the corner and this is how a real coach coaches. Look, now yeah. we got a real coach. And the simple fact is, 
Anthony Edwards <laughs> hit six three-pointers and shot over 50% in the game. And had he not hit, had he shot six for 22, they lose the game. And, you know, yeah. it's a butterfly effect. Other things happen. But I think I'm pretty safe in saying that if he shot 28%, they lose the game. Now, maybe the system that's being implemented is putting him in a better position. He's better confidence and all this. So there could be ways in which coaching and, and the overall team uh, concept is, is increasing his efficiency. But I think it's very fair to say that like, you can't use, you can't say that Noel scored whatever he did. I don't know, 28 points on yeah. 11 of 13 shooting. You can't like, well, you know, the coaching made a difference. And I think it's just, you know, if Ant had gone, had shot over 50% in any one of like nine games in a row when Saunders was still coach, they win five of them. I mean, they were losing games in the last minute for mm -hmm. a stretch there. So I, it, it just is very fair to say, like, sometimes you just at the mercy of like, is your guy getting going? Now, what would be a great best case scenario is like, oh, Ant has found his stride. This offense in it totally unleashes him. And, and this is going to be what we see going forward is this heightened level of efficiency. But I mean, he had, it was his career game last night and we won by two right? <laughs> and we're rightfully very excited about it, but I just, you know, good team teams do not survive bad shooting nights for the guy that takes the most shots. Right. Yep, and we, we should note here that we are big Chris Finch fans. We are big Timberwolves fans. Whoever is on our side, we are cheering for their success. We just We're big Anthony Edwards fans. Holy cow. Yeah. I love yeah, the kid. Like to place things into a, a context of, yeah, like optimism with a healthy dose of skepticism and why did they win these games or why did they lose these close games and what are some of those like, yeah, if you kind of take the emotion of how you feel about a player, how you feel about a coach out of it, and you're like, man, a lot of this from the coaching perspective is kind of lucky or unlucky, yeah. depending <laughs> on how you look at it, that if a player misses four more shots versus a player making four more shots because they get a little hot in a game is the difference between a, a win and a loss, keeping your job and losing it. There's all the time and dedication and skill and wonderful uh, knowledge that these NBA coaches have can a lot of times come down to a clever bounce, you know? Now you, you have a very busy life with two yeah. young, young children with one child under six months old or around six months old. Yeah. Um, did you see the last two games? Have you seen the last three games? I, I watched nearly all of last night's game. Okay. I, uh, the Portland win. I saw just a portion of the Portland loss, not enough to speak knowledgeably about it. And I saw nearly all of the 30-point win game because I rewatched the recording of that one. Okay. I, I, one of the other things that I'm seeing people say about Finch, and I think it's maybe fair, but I, I, I'm not noticing it as much in real time because I'm too emotionally involved <laughs> in the game, mm -hmm. uh, but that he is a lot more responsive in-game to substitution patterns. So Saunders was more like, well, these are, you know, these are the guys I'm rolling with. Or these are the guys I'm closing with, which is kind of sounds funny. Cause you think of the 33 year old coach being the yeah. one that's more likely to uh, think a little outside the box and kind of, but uh, that Finch is for all his um, experience and smarts. He's, he's doing some writing of the hot hand in a good way. And, and letting yeah. him, he's like, okay, this guy's doing it tonight. Let's let him keep going. And, um, 
your sense of that? And is that kind of, was that a fair criticism of Ryan as a guy who did that wonderful, passionate yeah. defense of Ryan? Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's very fair. It's one of the things that really perplexed me about Ryan is that he did seem to just get in this rut of rotations and mm-hmm. lack of flexibility around them, kind of regardless of what was happening on the floor. And uh, which to me was so weird based on how he had started his coaching career, taking over for Tibbs, offense, defense, substitutions, and uh, like creativity around dealing with the rotation that just seemed to be gone. And so I, yeah, I, I do think it's fair, uh, a fair compliment of Finch and a fair criticism of Ryan that Finch does seem to go with the hot hand a lot more. And one of the things I love about Finch is the other night, uh, Jane McDaniel's got two like early-ish fouls. And I'm generally the kind of guy that's like, you know what? Roll the dice. Like just mm. let them play. Spe- yeah, just – and I was like, it's Jane McDaniel's. So he's he's great and we love his potential and he's showing some wonderful flashes, but he can foul out. Like if he fouls out in mid – you know, eight minutes left in the fourth, so be it. Like let's mm-hmm. maximize him up to this point. And Finch let it roll. And then I saw – a comment from uh, Britt from The Athletic who, you know, Finch has apparently this perspective that if you pull a guy out because of foul trouble, you're effectively fouling him out yourself. Mm. Like you're pulling him off the floor. Right. So I, I love that. Um, that takes some guts to do. And I really like that. Yeah. yeah. That is cool. So let's talk about guts or maybe it's, just the youthful enthusiasm that allows one to uh, sort of bypass the gravity of the moment and move to talker number two, Anthony Edwards having another, he's having a moment game, which the last time we recorded a podcast was right after that Anthony Edwards coming out party against the Lakers, which was a game that we lost. Uh, Last night he had his best career game to date against Portland, which ferocious dunks, incredible drives to the hole, catching fire from three, coming back from an injury, uh, like talking trash and to an extent uh, showing incredible swagger uh, in the face of future Hall of Famers like Carmelo Anthony. And uh, and one of the things that I, as I was then hanging out with my toddler towards the end of that or after that game, I was just thinking, man, uh, Anthony Edwards has the kind of the emotional energy, the leadership qualities that I wish Cat had. Mm. Um, and Cat may be the best player on our team for now, but is Anthony Edwards even right now like the new leader of this team? Most of the time, your best player is your leader, and it's probably best for a team if that's the case. But think Anthony I, Edwards literally, yeah. I think, yesterday referred to Ricky Rubio as a leader Mm -hmm. saying that he was quote the best leader I've ever been around. So I I, I don't think he envisions himself as a leader, although maybe I should qualify that because I I do think that on the court in the moment, you know, being able to say something like, Hey, keep, keep the guys in this. I'll be back. Yeah. (laughs) That, That sort of thing. Or like, you know, get out of my way. I'm ready to go. Those sorts yeah. of moments, you definitely see those qualities, but then he's ready to have somebody after a play, take him under the wing, kind of talk him through something. So he's kind of like the perfect blend right now of somebody who's, who's being sort of prepped for that role, but he certainly 
he has a psychological and physical makeup of somebody who can who could assume that and probably sooner as opposed to later gosh how fun is he he's got you remember kg in interviews yeah that was like I, i'm surprised that that's actually not used as a comp i think the one thing though even early on i think kg was always a little more self-aware and there's something about kg is super fun in interviews but he was just a little more calculated mm. <laughs> anthony edwards is so <laughs> refreshingly off the cuff he's, he's just like guys who are interviewing him it's like they're talking to their friend you yeah. know it, He's so disarming and so fun and just the, the extent to which he is not the player we were all told he would be thrills me to no end. And I kind of like the fact that we're slowly seeing a transition because it's been like, we love the guy, you know, he may never develop this or he may never, you know, whatever. He may never blank, 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 but you got to love his attitude. and You love the kid. And now you're looking and it's like, ah, he scored like an average of 24 points in his last seven games or whatever. It's like, gosh, he's, he's starting to feel a lot less likely that you're going to – he may never be at the level of Bradley Beal, but <laughs> this guy is going to get – you know, barring like some terrible turn, he's going to be a 20-some point a game score. He's going to – get maxed you know here or somewhere else but i mean he's he's gonna arrive at something and i think what's holding a lot of that talk back is everyone can't talk about anthony edwards without talking about Lamelo and the comparison and did we pick mm. the right guy um but even that's fading a bit you know it's like he he, he and another he may he may never be the overall player that Lamelo is but then again maybe he will Maybe he'll win a scoring title. Well, and it's like, you know, let's, let's look at this after five years and see where we're at. You know, like, well, you know, with really appreciating both players, you know, people like to talk about the Michael Jordan, Sam Bowie comparison. Um, But a lot of people are like, forget to, you know, when you look at these drafts of it was Hakeem Olajuwon, Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan, you know, and like two of those players you've been very happy to have on your team. (laughs) Is it possible that both of these guys would be guys you'd be very happy to have on your team? And to kind of wrap this up, I do think that uh, Anthony Edwards is the new on-court leader of this Mm. team. That of course you have like leaders like Rubio in the locker room, but like when the, when the chips are down, he wants the ball. He wants the moment. Clear out and get out of the way. Uh, he's gonna. That was actually very slightly concerning. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Everything sure, else but... he says is great, but that, that was just a little bit like, oh. Yeah, but he was he was on. He was feeling yeah, it, was. and that like you need a guy, especially at the wing position, who like the the initial play bro- broke down or it's like you just kind of need to to get a bucket if he continues to develop this where he turns some of those into just he got to the free throw line and made a couple of buckets or you know that kind of thing but that up to this point we haven't had a guy that's like man we we really need a bucket and this is a guy who gives us a really good chance to get it because he has the ball in his hands cuz you're just like oh around the horn, the double team can't, we can't get to him. And so some guy who can't shoot very well bricks and 
you know, Bricks a contested three, and that was our best chance at it. Yeah. I kind of like the enthusiasm of get the F out of the way and let this guy, um, let this guy, let this guy roll. So and that I'm is not- simply a player we have not had is the, yeah, the player that and Dane has been doing a lot of talking about this. So I'm not going to rehash that. Cause I think probably most people who are listening to us uh, listen to him, but just the idea that there is definitely a role for a volume shooter. You hope they do it efficiently, but sometimes, you know, that you need some, like how many stretches did we have early in this season where we just need somebody to get a dang bucket <laughs> And we don't have anyone on the court who's capable of doing that in a crunch moment. And, you know, at this point in his career, it's not always going to be the most efficient thing, but here's a guy that can get you a, he can get a shot off, a decent shot off anytime he wants. Yeah. And it's like, he's young, get those reps in, develop this now, learn, learn on the job. Uh, Yeah. Future, future remains bright for Anthony Edwards. So and something that might be a bit of a challenge for Wolves fans and a challenge for us is, you know, the upcoming trade deadline. And yeah, I'm curious, are you excited for some changes or nervous for some changes? Because there's a lot of talk about Collins from Atlanta being able to fill some gaps at the uh, power forward. I know one of the things I struggle with, and then you, uh, you know, chime in here, is that one of the things that I think that is challenge, really challenging as a fan for this Wolves team is – a lot of these guys are very likable human beings mm. and are the kind of stories that you want to cheer for, even if it's more uncertain about how good are they actually as a player. So like, I believe that Nas Reed is a really, he's a really good player, but is he like really going to help take us to the next level in terms of wins? But this guy who's undrafted, he makes his way through the, the G league and now like seems to be one of the bright spots does that cause me to overrate his value to the team? And the same would go for like, you know, a Jalen Noel, which it's still early and he's shown some wonderful flashes recently. And I've, I've loved it, but it's like, is Jalen Noel untradeable, you know, like, or is it just that like, we really like these guys or like, you know, Jordan McLaughlin where man, you know, what a scrapper, like this is the kind of guy you like to cheer for. Even if you're, even if it might be better off not having them on the team in favor of, better players. So how do you view the trade deadline and some of the rumors we're hearing and who would you most want to, maybe who would you most want to see go in a trade for getting like say Collins from Atlanta? Yeah. The the way you're thinking about that is really interesting because I, we both sort of are on the side of like, you do want to root for guys that you like and, and it's, it's that whole for me. I mean, I know we differ here, but the reason, like, don't, don't give me Kevin Durant and James Harden on my team. Like, I, I just, I, the idea of homegrown talent that, like, are kind of a neat storyline and neat people. It's like, I, it's just really appealing to me aesthetically. And I, I, I can't say much more than that. You know, I've always um, said you like bad basketball, Dan. So you just keep, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just keep perpetuating that. You're like, don't give me James Harden and Kevin Durant. <laughs> no, like, the worst, from I just had the worst <laughs> basketball take of any basketball <laughs> podcaster in the last five years. Don't give me Kevin Durant and James Harden. <laughs> give me so, Jordan McLaughlin and Jalen Noel from the D League. Let's roll. But I, I, I do think the thing that's that's 
tough here is well two things one one is if we were rooting for a normal team that only had two players under the age of 21 you know th- th- then it's a little easier to say like hey we want to see what we got in this guy and you know maybe you get a get rid of him or whatever but like we got all these young guys, all of them are, are it's an unknown where they're going to end up. And some of them like really, really intriguing, like uh, McDaniels and, and Edwards and to maybe a lesser extent, but maybe not Jalen Noel, you know, what, what could these guys, and you'd hate to see that get realized somewhere else. And the fact that they've, what we've seen has been in such a terrible opportunity to get a a fair sampling from the turmoil to the you know the injuries and and missed games and the lack of stability we haven't gotten a chance to see this and i think it's it's kind of classic bad timberwolves timing that you're gonna get this full lineup back that we've been wanting to see like right around the time when the trades have to be made and I mean, you've said it even a little more than I have. You know, we just want to see what a lineup with Cat and Beasley and D'Lo and now and you know what does this look like? What does it look? We still don't know what it looks like. And, and you know, judgments have been passed all year about like, do you see a team like this getting out of the first round? I don't know. I don't know when this team is is clicking and not pissing away a game in the fourth quarter. They actually look really good for stretches. Like, what if they're far better? What if they're a lot closer to what we were talking about in the preseason yeah. with these guys on the court? I and think we have no idea of knowing. I'll, yeah, I'll well, tell you, Dan, who I am fine seeing, who I am one hundred percent fine trading from this team. Sorry, okay. right, gentlemen, I love you, but I'm one hundred percent fine trading Culver. I'm one hundred percent fine trading Wancho. And I'm 100% fine trading Layman and probably a Kogi. Um, I know it, I probably like Josh Kogi more than others, but he has these like, as long as he does say it's the second most important Timberwolf. At, at, the very be- <laughs> at the very beginning of the season when we were rolling the way we were, I did say that. And I think it was, I wasn't the only one with that take. Um, but the thing about a Kogi is, as long as he doesn't shoot and, uh, and we, we have, he like there are times where he makes such good positive differences on a team, and I like having a guy who's so elite defensively that at any given time you could just say like we don't care if you get six fouls, we just need somebody to slow this guy down. But yes, of course, if he's like um, the piece that helps bring something better to the team, I'm fine with that. So would you have any problem? I have no problem trading Culver, Wancho, Layman, or a Kogi. Those are my like they can go, and I my heart doesn't really hurt at all afterwards and i think the team doesn't either i've been more bullish on layman than just about anyone else i've seen you this have. whole year yeah you and chris um, finch, i think but what's that you and chris finch maybe uh, yeah, yeah i guess <laughs> well hey uh but yeah I, it would make me sad to see him go um it would make me sad on a human level a kogi is just yeah, a, let, let the human level go just yeah, go the yeah just the basketball level um, be kind of it would remove a certain uh, function on our team, obviously, to get rid of Culver and Akogi as as are literally our two defensive specialists, um, or at least what was seen as that heading into the season. But no, no, I think that's a that's a pretty fair 
Yeah, and I'm not saying trade all of these guys. I'm yeah, saying right, right. one or two of these guys are included in the in a trade. I think that's fine. Which basically leaves us with, I'll give it to you, Dan. Okay, so uh, this is D'Lo with Rubio as backup, right? Uh, Beasley with probably Jalen Noel as backup. Cat with Naz as backup. Edwards with then Akogi Lehman etc. as backup, and then Vanderbilt McDaniels, plus whoever else we end up, um, you know, bringing in. I'm, I'm fine rolling the ball out with that team and seeing what we have. More so than concern about who's going out, I think the, the, the big concern is there's the biggest buzz right now is around um, John Collins coming in. Yeah. And I think the, the, the concerns there beyond, you know, who do you have to lose to get him? But the idea that he is going to be someone that you're going to have to max. And is that, are you talking like, so is that your core that you could go with cat D'Lo Collins? Is that enough? And I think that that discussion sort of ignores a more realized Anthony Edwards in that, mm -hmm. but is a cat D'Lo Collins essentially core uh, worth spending like a hundred million dollars on <laughs> those three yeah. guys? And mm -hmm. so I, I think that that's and and to some extent, you know, there's the idea that Collins, you know, w one of the reasons he wants out of Atlanta does he think he's not getting enough shots? Um, and so, like, you got a lot of guys that like shots at the point you got. Collins and D'Lo and Beasley and uh, Anthony Edwards. Luckily, you have a deferential uh, cornerstone. Yeah, I can, but he's the guy you, you most want taking the shots. Yeah, I'm. I'm so. I've kind of held all along that we need to see what we have with this team. That the record is bad because with these circumstances, it was going to be bad, mm -hmm. not necessarily because the unit itself is is bad. I, I know going into this year, we were just talking about the gaping hole of power forward, but that was before, you know, McDaniels and Vanderbilt and even uh, Nas Reed really were able to fill that in a in its own right. So I don't know that we are as desperate for power forward help now as we were before, or that something that couldn't be filled with a more affordable, better fit option in a free agent signing in the off season or something. My, my greatest concern, and it's even diminished now with the Wolves, is that you, know, you do have so many wings or wing-like players. You don't play fantasy football, so this won't resonate as much with you, but I imagine a number of our listeners do. And when you play fantasy football, you kind of need to have a solid starter at every position, like the solid, just like this is the producer. But sometimes you get caught in this meat grinder of like, all these guys are just kind of like really similar to each other. And so like, I might play this one or I might play that one. And then you choose one and the other one goes off and the guy that you chose didn't. And the wolves at times feel a little bit like that to me in terms of not a clear enough pecking order yet of mm. like that too many guys are within a, a range of close range of each other that it never like, it's just not obvious who should get the run. It's and kind of one of the reasons why it can be tough to know who you would let go too, because yes. yeah, like literally everybody is subject to be substituted in. I, um, 
I, th I think it's one thing that I think sometimes is there's so much hand wringing over. Do you want to give a hundred million dollars to cat Delo cause like you've sunk a lot of money. It's like, boy, you got Delo making all that money. And I don't think anyone begrudges cat the contract, but the thing that I don't hear talked about a lot is yeah. But at the same time, we don't have a ton of 11, 12, $15 million guys that we're tied to. We are saving a lot of money. If we really do think that Nas, Noel, McDaniels, Anthony Edwards are like rotational players, McLaughlin for crying out loud, these guys are really on the cheap. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're a little top heavy maybe, but <laughs> most of the guys, I think we would say that most of the guys that are making a, a sort of the mid-level money on our team are guys that we're fine with trading. I don't know about fine with trading. I think a lot of people are assuming that if if Collins goes in, maybe Beasley is on the way out. And I don't know yeah. what you think about that. Or there's been a lot of talk about Ricky uh, being thrown in there, but development in the last – yeah, not, with, not with the way Cat and Ant are talking about this guy. Yeah, I <laughs> can't do means. it. Yeah. You can't do it. Oh, maybe he does it, though. He's a gunslinger or GM. Yeah, but. yeah I don't regret it. <clears throat> All right. So you want to talk about integrating Beasley and D'Lo back into the lineup and what that feels like? or you're, you know, Yeah, maybe maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Um, we've touched on this before. I, I think that people try to project a lot onto D'Lo. Maybe it has to do with the uh, – the audience that I, I or the the people I happen to follow on Twitter and the voices I hear the most, but I get a lot of D'Lo hate. Mm -hmm. We said this before, D'Lo, he's not a bad basketball player. <laughs> people act like he's literally going to make our team worse when he comes back. Not everybody, but there's kind of this yeah. idea out there. It's like, well, what does he really do for us? It's like, this guy, he has played – uh, an important role on a good team in the past. And he has yet in his career, aside from maybe that one year in, in Brooklyn, he has yet to be surrounded by a competent collection of basketball players in mm -hmm. a, a, a stable situation. And I, I think people trying to project, you know, so, so he's a chucker. He takes all these ill-advised shots. Like, when has he been around anyone else he trusted taking shots? Mm -hmm. And you know, well, oh, he did play with Caddick. Oh, you mean when they started two and zero this year and beat Utah? <laughs> like, oh, interesting. I think it's fair to say, like, let's let's give this guy a chance to see what happens when he's surrounded with competent basketball players in a competent system so i think we all as as timberwolves fans are, are hoping that uh, th this version of delo would exist where he understands that he's not always going to initiate you know cat's going to initiate some offense anthony edwards is going to initiate some offense and and he's going to be hitting a lot of spot up threes he's not going to be so ball dominant dribbling around for half the shot right. clock i think a lot of people sort of assume that he's not going to be willing to to take on that role. And I, I don't think it's fair to say that. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I'm actually a little, a little less hopeful. <laughs> Let me say one thing on, on oh, yeah. Dilo before you go into yeah. Beasley. You, know, you talk about, yeah, the, the first two games of the year where we won uh, against Utah and 
the Pistons, and then people conveniently forget that game we won because D'Lo hit the game-winning shot with, like, a few seconds left on the clock. Ah, I don't even remember who we beat that game, but, like, D'Lo hit the game-winner, and with Anthony Edwards' leadership uh, and and willingness to have the ball in his hands during big moments and drive to the hoop, that also might be some opportunities where, hey, you know, the shot clock's running down or it's the last shot of the quarter or whatever. It doesn't have to be D'Lo doing something to take a – you know, a long two fadeaway high arcer, but it can be, you know, Anthony Edwards uh, handling those moments as well. So yeah, I'm pretty optimistic about D'Lo coming back and integrating just fine too. Yeah, You're less optimistic about Beasley. I'm I'm well, actually very comfortable with Beasley coming back and just swishing threes like he was before. Oh, I'm I'm very comfortable with adding more shooting and scoring threats to the mix. I just a little bit in terms of I, I've heard talk from Wolves beat writers about Beasley and how he sort of, you know, you're talking about who's the leader of the team. Beasley sort of thinking he's the leader of the team is like, uh, you know, or that he's maybe he really does deserve to be the first or second option of the team. You know, uh, it's like, we definitely want you taking those spot up threes, but you know, it, just a little bit concerned maybe how he might react if he's only getting, you know, seven or eight shots in a game, how's he going to take that? And if his primary role is as a recipient of a kick out from Ant or, you know, when Cat yeah. gets double teamed, and it, it it's not fair to assume that he's not going to react well to that, but it, it's something to watch. But I, I, it, in, in theory, it's it's so promising. The, the way we've got this offense running now, it's like, Cat, you – take the ball and understanding that like, if you got single coverage, it's go to town. And it's only when you absolutely have no option that you're going to kick it out. And so what does kicking it out means? Like, oh, okay. You're going to get Beasley or D'Lo <laughs> or uh, Anthony Edwards on the perimeter. That's pretty exciting. And it's something yeah. that this team has not had for a long time. And certainly cat has never been surrounded by yeah, I think we just uh, – I, I really – I'm excited for the possibility, assuming we avoid major injuries or other bad luck, that to get Beasley back, to get D'Lo back and have a nice stretch of games where we can see what this team uh, could be moving forward. And so I, uh, I actually hope that, uh, you know, these guys who feel core right now to the team uh -huh. uh, remain – uh, you know, through the trade deadline and that, uh, yeah, I just, I, I hope that that's where we're at and I look forward to integrating these guys back into the lineup. But Dan, it is time now for Timberwolf power ranking. All give, right. us number, give us number five on this episode's power rankings. So I'm, I'm going with Kat. Um, he arguably could be higher on this because coming out of the all-star break, he's, his responsibility is so heightened. He's be, being a little more unshackled on the defensive end, being able to do maybe what he's capable of doing a little better. He's initiating offense, um, obviously only 13 points the other night, but that's because he was so uh, integral in getting other people involved. But I, there's a reason. You know, when you have a team that's playing relatively well, you find, I was unaware that this is the case, but apparently when you have a team that's playing well, um, you got guys fighting for their spot in the Timberwolf power rankings. Number four. 
I got Jaden McDaniels. Now, he didn't play in the game last night, but he had uh, probably his own best game as a pro the game before. Um, Two games before in the um, – Yeah, yeah. Really, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, he's just kind of giving us more and more glimpses of, of being an elite defender, uh, an elite – flexible defender and uh capable spot up shooter and just to the point where uh an article an athletic article was written specifically focusing on his growth and what we saw from him in that uh blowout win over the pelicans yeah, and I think um, one fun thing about McDaniels is going into the season, we're talking about a Kogi as the small ball four, when indeed it's really Jane McDaniels as our small ball four. <laughs> Only because you're talking about mass when you're talking about small. <laughs> right, or just the, the style of play. And he, to me, seems like a, a perfect option for that from a flexibility standpoint. Dan, what about number three? I, I'll one other thing on Finch is it's kind of interesting yeah. that we talk about small ball and it, I think it's kind of refreshing and fun to see Finch say, no, let's throw a couple bigs out there. Like if the matchup, if the matchup is, is right, we're going to, you know, rather than being reactive in how we put our lineup out there, we're going to exploit something, maybe the other direction because somebody else is trying to go small. So we're going to go big. And just, that is something I feel like we've not seen a whole lot. And so, yeah, the cat and Nas uh, sharing minutes on the floor together. Yeah. A fun, yeah. uh, fun thing, fun development. And for. and Wancho at the same time as those two. That was yeah. So, um, yeah, my number three is Jalen Noel, who it's it's kind of weird that he shot four of eight from three, and was barely talked about last night because everyone was so yeah. excited about Anthony Edwards. But the the emergence of Jalen Noel is really exciting. I think it's kind of interesting if you think about. Uh, Cat like Nas Reed being sort of like cat light. He has many of the same skills. He just doesn't have the the level of talent, but you know he can hit from outside as good post work and so on. And Jalen Noel is like a lot of similarities between the skill set that Beasley offers and yeah. what Noel. But as we've talked about it, it's maybe a fair consideration that Beasley is elite few in the league apparently better at hitting just spot up threes, but there may not be other basketball skills that Beasley has that are any better than what Jalen Noel offers his crafty sort of veteran level ability to get shots off in the paint score at multiple levels. And he's not a great defender, but he's a better defender than Beasley. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and that's where I can see a fair argument for Beasley is tradable if Jalen Noel is who he has shown to be over the past smattering of games. Yeah, and that's, well, that's, that's get, pretty risky, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I get a little bit like, is it that I just really like cheering for these guys? Right. And that makes me think they're better than they are, or is it that like, well, they're just kind of growing and this team hasn't had a chance to be this team yet? Like it, we we don't have a, this team yet until like oh now we're getting a stretch of games with the same guys playing together. But I can see where uh, Jalen like Noel. Just, is, we're just uh, about to get our shooters back. 
Yeah, well, it's like Jalen Noel is obviously on an affordable contract. And so yeah. you you trade Beasley for more balance on the lineup. Jalen Noel fills his role pretty well. And then in a few years, Jalen Noel gets what the contract Beasley has now. You know, like I can see some uh, I can see some reasoning for that that I would have a hard time arguing uh against. I mean he did he does have being number three on the uh ninth episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap to his credit <laughs> that he can bring into trade negotiations or contract <laughs> negotiations. Contract negotiations. Yeah. All right. What about number two on your power ranking? I don't think anyone saw this coming. Ricky Rubio. I didn't who, see it coming. The vision of him as mentor to Ant, as uh, orchestrator of a competent offense, uh, as experienced former court mate and respected court mate of Carl Anthony Towns, all kind of coming to fruition to the point where earlier in this episode, you said Ricky is untradeable at this point, Mm -hmm. where I think two weeks ago, (laughs) you know, everyone's ready to buy the ticket. Yep. Um, gosh, I love seeing an effective Ricky Rubio on the court. And, you know, I, I, I think even myself, it was hard to not sort of feel at the beginning of the year that, you know, as he's feeling kind of lost and feeling like things aren't happening, you know, is his heart not on this team? Does he want out of here? What's going on? And to find that he has continued to be that, to have that solid character that we always loved about him so much and that he's been working and working and working behind the scenes and being a mentor to these young players. Like, man, maybe he has been impacting things in ways that we don't even know. And he has certainly been impacting things in ways that we don't even know. And so I, I think a lot of what has happened positive, um, in the last few games, a lot of that can be laid at the feet of Ricky Rubio. And, and if, if all that isn't reason enough, eight for eight in the last 29 seconds of a game, they won by two points last yeah. night. Oh, every single one of those free throws, a missile <laughs> with no arc. And you're like, Oh God, it's not going to clear the rim. Oh, it did again. Oh God, it's not going to clear the rim. There it goes again. What but, but there's like no doubt, right? It's like another clutch free throws last night. Yeah. Dan, we are down to your number one selection for <laughs> Timberwolf power rankings. Who do we nobody's, have? G- nobody's going to be able to guess this one. <laughs> we got Anthony Edwards playing his career game of a very exciting rookie season thus far. How excited would October Josh B. We had done the draft by October, right? Yeah. Yeah. How excited would October Josh be to know that Anthony Edwards is number one in the Timberwolf power rankings in mid-March, right? And because of excellent basketball play uh, and flashes. Yeah. Very excited. Right. Um, so yeah, what, what, what can you say? Uh, 34 points on it, great shooting and just clutch play and swagger and great interview game and just everything about the guy exuding fun. I mean, he is like, this is about as fun as a nine, nine and 30 team could possibly be right now. Right. And a big part of it is you just don't know 
like any you can't not watch the game because you're gonna miss the next the dunk Mm -hmm. or the shot or the dance or whatever he's doing but yeah anthony edwards number one my my body literally gets the chills when i watch the replay of last night's dunk when he Dribbles to the right wing, gets caught by a defender, and does that yeah. legs crossover dribble to dart, um, through, dart through the paint. And then he rises up and throws down the ferocious dunk over Robert Covington and, you know, and then just like flexes. Right. As like, a 19-year-old right there. It's like this I is did the uh, I did the scream that made my, you know, 17-year-old dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so awesome yeah it was so yeah so josh awesome. uh we are to your sixth man or yeah and this time the sixth man is not a man but it's a force dan it's a, mm. a force field actually and this it's a it's a it's a force field that only enters the environment when Juancho Ernan Gomez drives to the hole or gets a rebound <laughs> underneath the basket, that ensures that the ball will not go in the hole yeah. under any circumstances. <laughs> it is the Juancho Ernan Gomez force field around yeah. the basket is this episode's sixth man. You know, anytime I see a missed shot and Juancho gets the rebound underneath the basket and there's like 23 seconds left. Oh, he's on the going up box. in traffic. I'm screaming to just kick it back out. But of course, somebody kicks it back out, and that's the other team's defenders rejecting it to start a fast break. Um, it's just comical to me at this point. Yeah, it's like he's a video game character, but there was like something wrong with the programming if he's has the ball in that spot. <laughs> it's a glitch. Oh, well, I think that'll do it, Dan. All right. Well, yeah, for our ninth episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap, uh, I remain pretty active on Twitter under the handle tip2, so T-O, tap. Yeah, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, one thing I should note on Twitter, Dan, is I used to have the parody account uh, Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> I have uh, kept that handle, but changed it to Chris Finch's record. Just game by game, I'm going to track right, Chris Finch's record. That's the only thing that will be on this. So I did the first post today that said Chris Finch's record. I said Chris Finch is 2-6 and six as head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and hopefully we can track this uh, on an arc to success. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. <laughs> so, and, and I guess maybe you got to take a hat off to Tom Tibidums, who suddenly isn't looking so dumb anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, the resistance was effective. Uh, he's he's a win now, lose long term guy. That'll take place in New York. And uh, not to get too much into Tibbs, but I actually think that he's probably a really good head coach, but he cannot have any responsibility other yeah. than that. Like he cannot be yeah. in the front office and head coach. I think that works terribly for him. But if you're just like Tibbs, go coach. Tibbs, coach. And like, and he's probably a pretty solid coach. If he's that's receptive all. to that voice too. Oh yeah, don't do. All right, please. So, I have oh, everybody follow Tim. To come join us for more Tim Wolves tip to tap. And as um as the weather warms and COVID fades, we will soon be doing these episodes live from the tap room. I'm going to pre predict in a couple of months here or so, maybe sooner. 
All right. Well, you are Josh Dye, are you not? And I'm Dan. Hill. <laughs> uh, relax, everybody. It's it's just sports. Take a step back. Take a sip of Fulton beer and take the long view. The season is probably not going to unfold the way you think it is in the moment. All right. Go Wolves. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>